Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Um, I just want to thank the elders for their trust in me to um, be able to bring a message from God's Word to you this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I know there's a lot of familiar faces and a lot of family. These people that y'all know as Mr. Johnny and Miss Nancy, I know as Grampy and Grammy. Um, and my mother was a Fortenberry, so I've got family uh, all around on both sides and a lot of old friends here, and I'm just very grateful to get to speak to you this morning from God's Word. Um, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be spending a lot of our time this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I was grateful that y'all hadn't quite gotten here in your study of Moses yet, um, when I learned that's what y'all were studying this morning. Um, but y'all are going to be familiar with some of the stuff we look at today. Um, and as... I was reading through this, you know, way back at the beginning of 2020, and so much has happened since then, and we've been through a lot. Uh, it's been very discouraging at times, I'm sure, for everyone, um, including myself, and there have been trials, and everybody has gone through a lot of different things, and I think it's kind of a similar time for the Israelites here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and they had, just to remind you of some of the context they had just finished their wandering in the wilderness. And the reason for that was the spies and their evil report and the unbelief of the people. So that whole generation that God has brought out of Israel, all of the adults are now dead. This is a whole new generation of Israelites. And this is right around the time where um, the second giving of the law is happening. You know, that's what Deuteronomy is, is the second giving of the law, because these um, Israelites that are now adults were probably very small children. You know, the last time the law was given on Mount Sinai, where y'all are in your study of Moses. And as I was reading this way back then, it just struck me that this can very easily be related to today. That the things that we're going to learn today are very similar to uh, what we have gone through, and it's a shadow of today. Today we're going to be thinking about our blessings, the way that our God has provided for us, the way he provided for Israel. We're going to start in verse 7, and there's some phrases that we're really going to focus on today, such as, what God is there, or what time has there been like this, or what people have been blessed as you have. Really just bringing out the sovereignty of God and the unique relationship that he has with the people of Israel. And we're really just going to use one verse at a time. And Moses has several points through here that he is going to bring to the people. And we're just going to read a verse and then um, compare that to today. So we're going to start in verse 7 where Moses said, For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. What other nation has a God as near as God is to you? Moses is asking this as a rhetorical question. There is no other nation that has a God this close. The Israelites had God dwelling with them in the tabernacle. The Israelites saw God on Mount Sinai in the fire and the lightning that we already talked about this morning. In the cloud, by day, 
He guided them. In the fire by night, he kept them warm, and he guided them through the wilderness. All of these people experienced each one of those blessings. This God is so near to his people. When they cried out for food, he gave them manna. When he cried out for water, he gave them water from the rock. Moses is reminding them there is no other nation who has been blessed in the ways that you have been blessed. There is no other God who is as close to his people as your God. We see an example of this that's going to happen later in um, 1 Kings chapter 18 with the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel and the challenge of the prophets of Baal. Those prophets are calling out to Baal and crying out to him and cutting themselves and there is no answer. Elijah cries out to God and the whole sacrifice and the altar and all of that water is consumed. Their God heard the children of Israel. And don't misunderstand, um, in no way am, is this passage saying that there are other gods. All the other gods are false, and this passage is bringing out the fact that this God is the only God that has, that our God is so, bring on it. They just can't believe. They said, how did the fig tree wither away before our eyes? So this is Jesus' answer. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be moved and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. The parallel passage in Mark chapter 11 says, Whatever you ask, if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Jesus tells us that whatever we ask in prayer, we will receive through faith. Now, obviously this is not saying that we can somehow treat God as a genie and just whatever we ask Him, He just has to give it to us, right? This is saying whatever you ask in faith, God hears. Our next passage is going to clarify this a little bit better. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And we are going to be Looking at verse 14. 1 John 5 and verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So here it clarifies if it is according to his will. So we ask, God hears. God is in control. Our requests have to be according to his will. But our God hears our prayers. And he answers our prayers. What other people have this blessing? Our God is so near to us that whenever we call, he hears. Turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Look down at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Or as the ESV says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. He goes on to remind us of another time where the prophet Elijah prayed that it would not rain. And it didn't rain. And he was just a man, verse 17, with a nature like ours. But he prayed. Because God was near to him, because God heard him, his prayer was answered. He was able to change the weather through the power of prayer. Let's really bring this all together over in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, who if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Our God is good. Our God is love. Our God answers when we call. Now, we know that there are also times when God does not answer with the way that we want Him to. We read uh, in 1 Corinthians about Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. We're not told what that is, but that it affected him. And he asked three times for it to be removed, and it wasn't. All of this is not saying that if someone's sick and you pray for them, they're going to get better. We've experienced times when that has not happened. But this passage gives us the reassurance that we ask, God knows what we need. And it goes even further than that. Back up just a little bit to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus is instructing on how to pray. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Not only does God hear us, God knows what we need before we ask. Our God is so near to us, is so in tune with our lives, is so interested and involved with us, that He knows what we need before we ask Him, even better than we know what we need. What God is there that is this close to His people? There is no other God like our God. 
Let's go back to our text in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and now we're going to look down in verse 8. This is the next verse. So he asks in verse 7 what we've been looking at. What, God has, what nation has a God so near to it? Verse 8 he says, What great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you on this day? Now skip down to verse 32. Verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened, or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard, and live? Another question of, have any people experienced this great blessing? Have any people heard the voice of God? Have any people received a law like you? This is referencing what we already looked at this morning in the class. Has any people come to Mount Sinai and seen the thunderings and the lightning and the fire and heard the voice of God? We read there uh, later on in chapter 20 after the Ten Commandments that the people said, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to talk to Him. They were terrified they saw and heard the majesty of God. He had to make sure that everyone was clean and ready to experience the majesty of God. What other people have seen and heard the God of the universe as you have? What other people have been blessed in this way? This is unique to God's relationship with Israel. Have we not experienced this same blessing? Has our God not spoken to us? Have we not heard His voice? Turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 reads, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Our God has spoken to us. Now we might not have had the same physical presence and experience that the Israelites did of absolute terror and the ability to physically hear the voice of God with our ears. But our God has spoken to us through His Son. He is the radiance, as we read, of the same glory that the Israelites experienced. He shows us His power through His Word, just as the Israelites experienced His power through Mount Sinai. What other people is there that have been blessed as we have? 
Who has God left His Word for? Whose God has spoken to His people as our God has? Too often we forget the blessing of this Word. You know, we can go to any store and just buy a Bible. This is God's Word. Too often we don't take advantage of the richness that is held within these pages. Often we forget that the creator of the universe breathed out every word. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and it was God. And it came down to earth and dwelt among us. It lived on earth. That is Jesus. We have all of that recorded right here. What other people have been blessed in this way as we have? What other people have a God that speaks to them? Turn over now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look down in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of this scripture in the Bible is inspired of God. It came directly from God. He inspired the writers. He tells us here that it gives us every tool that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our God has blessed us so richly with His Word. We can be lacking in nothing. He doesn't expect us to have a difficult time finding out what He would have us to do. It's all right here. We don't have to go and find this book and look this up and find a different book and look this up. We have it all right here. This is complete. There is no other God that has spoken to His people as our God has spoken to us through His Word. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, down in verse 34 now. Or did God ever try to go and take for Himself a nation from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is none besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire, because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. Moses asked the people now, 
What God has taken a nation from the midst of another nation? What God has done all of these things for this people that were so unworthy? What God has destroyed an entire nation to bring His people out of bondage? He gives us the answer, no other God. No other God has performed these signs and miracles. No other God has saved His people the way that I saved you. Because I alone am God. Verse 38, your God drove out a nation stronger and mightier than you. Sometimes we fail to realize, I think, the damage that God did to Egypt. The plagues weren't just some minor annoyance that as soon as the Israelites were gone, it was all better. He took out the Nile. They worshipped the Nile. The Nile supplied them with water. He turned it into blood. He made their land stink with the frogs. He took out their food supply with the locusts and the hail and the cattle dying. He took out their future with the death of all the firstborn. And as a final blow, they sent their whole army after Israel. And they were all lost in the sea when the waters closed in on them. The most powerful nation in the world, the military superpower of that day, reduced to rubble to save this tiny group of pilgrims within a nation. You know, two million sounds like a lot of people, but when you're talking about a nation, that was a small group of people. And the most powerful nation in the world was nothing. Moses is reminding Israel of all this. Again, these were small children when all this happened, if they were even born at all. God did this for them to bring them out of slavery, to help them defeat this enemy that was insurmountable. God did this to show His people His love for them, to show Him that there is no other God. The plagues were very pointed at the Egyptian gods. God destroyed a nation larger and richer and stronger to show them His love for them. Do we as Christians not have this same blessing? And yet an even greater one? Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Obviously a very familiar passage. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What other God has sent His Son? What other God has sent the one that He loves to suffer? 
to save, to die for His people, our God has. Only our God has. There is no other God like our God. There is no other God who has suffered for His people as our God has for us. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. I want you to realize the fact that He chose us before the foundation of the world. And realize the impact of what that means. God knew before He ever created the earth what He would have to do. God knew that Adam would sin. God knew that He would have to save us from our sin. God knew the price. God knew that He would have to watch His Son hang and die on that cross. Jesus knew that He would be the Savior. He knew He would have to leave His home in heaven with God. He knew He would have to come down to earth to live a humble life. He knew He would be forsaken by all of His closest friends. He knew He would watch Peter deny him as he was on trial. He knew he would be spat upon, beaten, mocked, scourged, hung on a cross, die. And ultimately he knew that even though he had no sin, that he would take our sin upon him. And that when he did that, he would be separated from his father. This relationship that was there before time, for the first time, they were separated. Knowing all of these things, our God created us. Our God chose us. Let's keep reading in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ." both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All of these great blessings through Jesus. All of these great blessings, the blood for our redemption, the way that He has bought us back, from sin. 
And do you remember the similarities here where it says, so we have obtained an inheritance in him through Jesus? Remember in Deuteronomy how it said he brought them out of Egypt so that they could obtain their inheritance? God saved Israel from an enemy so that they could obtain their inheritance of the promised land. God has saved us from our enemy of sin so that we can obtain our inheritance in heaven. Just as he performed all the wondrous works for the Israelites to bring them out of slavery, he has also performed wondrous works to bring us out of slavery and bondage to sin. Remember in Deuteronomy how we emphasized the strength and the might of Egypt? The great power we also face a powerful foe. We face Satan. We face sin. We can't do it alone. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, just a couple pages. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Does this sound easy? Does it sound like we could probably do it by ourselves, but we just do it with God. This tells us we can't. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We can't do this alone. Verse 11, put on God's armor so that you can stand against the devil. Is that not implying that without it, we can't stand? Through God is the only way we can stand against our adversary. In the same way that the Israelites were powerless against Egypt. Turn back a couple pages to chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Begin in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We're helpless. We're dead. We're fulfilling our own desires. By nature we are children of wrath. Let's keep reading in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are helpless, we are dead, but our helplessness has an answer. I always love the but God statements. It's like putting us down, but God. But God loves us. He is rich in mercy, His love is great. His grace and mercy is immeasurable. He shows us that through Jesus. Even though we were dead in our sin, even though we had no power, we read in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. God has brought us back to life. Just as the Israelites had no power to escape the Egyptians, we had no power to escape sin. Just as the Israelites needed God for deliverance, we needed God for deliverance. Just as God answered Israel, God answered us. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 40. You shall therefore... Keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Turn over back to the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Verse 5, Surely I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should, not, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. There in verse 40, it has a therefore. That is pointing back at everything that we have so far read. Because of all of these things, because God is near to you, because God has spoken to you, because God has delivered you, Therefore, do what I say. Because God has treated you, Israel, in such a unique way, because God has done all of these things for you that He has not done for anyone else, God wants you to serve Him like you don't serve anyone else. Because you are God's people, Act like it. 
Because I have blessed you, serve me. Our God has asked that of us. Because I hear you. Because I have given you my word. Because I have saved you. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Remember the love he has showed us. Love him back. His love is unlike any other. What other God has shown his people the love that our God has shown us? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 reminds us we love because he first loved us. What other response is there to this love than to serve him? Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Verse 7 that brings our logic to the table. Maybe for someone you love, you would die. Maybe for a good person, you would even dare to die. Even if you weren't related to them, if they were a good person, you could probably justify it in your mind to die for them. Verse 8. But God. But God demonstrates His love. The love that we would logically have for a good person is way down here. But God demonstrates His love that while you were sinners, while you were enemies. If He died for us while we were His enemy, how much more are we going to be saved by His life now that we have been reconciled and brought back to Him? Skip down to the next chapter, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also 
live with him. What is the proper response to this great love and this great salvation? Die to sin. Change. Bury that old man. God saves us. God does the work. But he requires a response. He requires action. This is the passage that we're going to use by way of invitation. God has shown this love for you, but if you haven't been baptized, you have not been buried with Christ. You are still his enemy. You are still ungodly. You have not received that reconciliation. But he's made an opportunity for you to access it. Back in our, back in our text in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse 23, we're going to learn a little bit more about the character of our God. In verses 23 uh, through about 28, he's warning Israel, don't turn away. Don't turn to other gods. We read here in verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Verse 27, The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Moses is warning the people, Don't turn from God. He has done all of these wonderful things for you, but He's a jealous God. He wants you to serve Him. If you don't, he is a consuming fire. He's warning them of the consequences. Look now in verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Moses says, even if you provoke his wrath, even if he's angry with you, even if he's punished you for your sin, God is a merciful God. If you seek Him with all your heart, He can be found. If you search for Him with everything you have, if you return and you obey, He is merciful. Our God is faithful. He has promised that salvation is available. We referenced Romans 6 earlier. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That gift is there today. When you get a gift, we got Christmas coming up. Do you just automatically have it? You have to open it. You have to take action to receive that gift. God has asked for your action. You have heard this word that he has given you tonight. Do you believe? 
Are you ready to turn? We read that even though you're in sin, God is merciful. God will love you. God does love you. He is patient. As God's children, we receive great blessings, just as the Israelites did. Just as they received His Word, we have His Word. Just as they could speak to God, we can speak to God through prayer. Just as they were delivered from their slavery, we have been delivered from our slavery to sin. He he promises us that even if we sin, He will take us back. He's promised us in Revelation 2.10 that if we are faithful unto death, that we have a crown of life waiting for us. We've spoken of His promises. The one thing He doesn't promise is tomorrow. He has blessed you with today. He's blessed you to hear He has blessed you with this opportunity to be baptized. The water is here. Are you in sin? Do you need the prayers of the congregation? Do you need to confess? Do you need to be a part of this body who is so blessed? There are no other people that are blessed in the ways that we are. Don't let this opportunity pass. If you have need, then please come forward right now as we stand and sing.